to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today? Good, mate. It's been um, a very, very busy week. On top of that, I saw it on the Facebooks that you uh, had trouble driving your car out of the driveway. Well, yeah, I actually got rid of Facebook and Instagram, but I, I've kept Twitter because, um, you know, there's a lot of engagement there with the community. And uh, But yeah, I did share a picture of uh, the ice curb of death, which is literally four inches high. And uh, my rear-wheel drive car, I have a Dodge Charger, like four American after getting rid of my big truck. And um, I reversed off the driveway fine. And I shoveled the snow off the sidewalk but then as soon as the rear wheels went off the sidewalk down the curb they just spun like hell because they're almost track tires on those things and uh, I ran in boiled the kettle and I did that four times and one of my neighbors came out and offered me rock salt because we don't like it never snows here it's never it hasn't snowed like this in 10 years and so no one's got shovels here no one's got rock salt and even when I went and drove to like a various different hardware stores yesterday, everywhere sold out. So basically this it's Armageddon or Snowmageddon as they're calling it in Seattle right now, because no one is prepared for the next onslaught snow that comes today. Well, the fact that someone had rock salt is good. I, I was, I was doing a user group with Kathy Dew down in Huntsville, Alabama, and they got a quarter of an inch of snow. And in Huntsville, Alabama, snow removal is called the sun. And so, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm glad you got out. Okay. With no, uh, no accidents, I guess that that's the big thing is when roads aren't treated, it can be really bad. So, yeah, I mean, basically yeah. our local road is just ice. So I had just crawled along there at two mile an hour. Yeah. And then yeah. the main road that I'm on, which is, you know, a few hundred yards in the, down the road was fine. But um, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I stayed in because I was on a call from my office, my window faces the street and there was a car literally sliding sideways with a family in it. And it went up the sidewalk and nearly took out the mailbox that's right in front of our house. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, scary. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, it's not me. I can drive in these conditions, even with a rear wheel drive. I'm more worried about everyone else around me that can't drive in rain, let alone snow. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty not noteworthy. But anyways, people aren't here to hear about snow. They want the big news from Microsoft this week. Well, Microsoft announced right after the community call that we did on Tuesday, which by the way was an excellent call, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, that Build will be um, in May. And it will be the same week as Google I.O., if you're already kind of tuned in on what they announced. Um, we're, we're doing ours the 6th to the 8th, 8th at Washington State Convention Center, again, like we did last year. And um, it should be a really, really good show. The main noticeable difference publicly right now is that there is actually a call for speakers. So when you go to that website, the um, uh, microsoft.com slash build, you'll actually see at the top in the navigation, there's a call for speakers. And this call for speakers is actually runoff sessionize.com, which is um, a website that a lot of unconferences used to do call for papers and have people kind of vote on different topics. And, um, you know, they've already put in the FAQ since the, um, since they launched this on Tuesday, that the travel and accommodation and the ticket will actually be covered if, if you do get selected. And I've seen a lot of questions on Twitter around like, what if we buy a ticket when it gets launched and then we get a speaker, can we get the refund back? And the answer is yes. Um, it is in 87 days, which is actually quite terrifying because as well as a call for speakers, um, I'm responsible for the Microsoft graph sessions with Mark Stafford, who we had on the show with Yinara way back in build. And, um, this is on top of my usual uh, things that I have to look after in my day-to-day job. And so things are going to get pretty hectic for me in the next 30 days for 60 days. I can imagine. <laughs> it's going to be very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. And uh, I'm a little torn. I don't, I don't think... 
Well, I certainly am not going to make it unless I get picked as a speaker, but I am not sure I can carve out the time because May is a busy month for me already. But um, it will be streamed, though, if I remember correctly. Right. So if folks who can't get away or, or don't yeah, don't get a ticket can certainly can be be streamed. So that's um, that's exciting news again and looking forward to the new stuff that comes out. You know, everyone's really looking forward to it now because we keep hearing there's two moments. And this is one of the one of the two moments. So the expectation game is is up there. Well, what was really funny, and and this just shows you how secret it is internally. Like the only way we know kind of when build was, was there was actually a leak and, you know, you Googled build and it would tell you what we think the dates are. And it took Microsoft, I think three or three or so weeks before they kind of announced it after the leak. But for the last six months, well, not six months, but since the last major moment of Ignite, all the engineering teams have been tracking towards, we're shipping stuff for build without actually knowing when build is. (laughs) Like we all kind of thought maybe it's in May at some point, but it wasn't like as soon as Ignite finished internally, there was like, here's the date that build is, go plan for that. And so it's kind of interesting that like we have this, we're going to go ship everything for build without actually knowing when build is going to be. And now they know they're like, okay, well we kind of figured it would be sometime in May anyway. So yeah, one engineering team was like, it's the first week in May. That's Oh, that we thought it was at the end of May. We've just lost three weeks off our ship time. So that that's going to be amusing from that perspective. Yeah. Although, I mean, for those who are watching, right, the SharePoint conference is is the third week and there was no way that SharePoint conference was going to upstage build. So you knew build was going to happen before yeah. the SharePoint conference. You can right? make so. a bunch of assumptions. Yeah. 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 So. But anyway, so, yeah, be good. And uh, look forward to the great stuff that you guys are going to be shipping. <laughs> Yeah, there's some exciting things to be coming. And uh, I mean, obviously, you've seen some of it because of the NDA with the MVP stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun, fun week for us to kind of keep that journey going with the Microsoft Graph and all the stuff that our engineering team's been working on internally just to celebrate that. It's, um, it's a nice time to just actually stop for a bit and uh, enjoy the week and talk to developers and, you know, get all the, the feedback and excitement from the atmosphere there and just take it in. Yeah. And then um, I mentioned that community call. So that was on Tuesday. Um, so if you missed it, the recording is available on the Microsoft graph blog. So if you go to graph.microsoft.com and resources and blog, um, Sebastian did a, a great job of um, talking through how you can use the Microsoft bot framework, uh, the version four, which was, um, I think it was announced back in September, October timeframes. And um, I talked about it in the previous community call that um, um, oh, Matteo, sorry, I was blanking on his name. Matteo done where he showed how to use AWS or Amazon stack to use Alexa with Microsoft Graph. And I kind of put the challenge out to a few people Hey, it'd be really good to do a Cortana one of these as well. And Seb was like, oh yeah, I've, I've done tons of, you know, tons of stuff with the Microsoft Pot framework, but I've not done anything with Cortana before. And I was like, well, you've got a month, so go work it out. And uh, to his credit, he came back and he'd actually got it working and um, even done some semantic, is it semantic analysis is the right word for, phrase where basically he, he was asking questions on, on things like what's on my calendar on Thursday? And it was kind of working it all out. And, and talking through the, the event coming back from the graph. Yeah, that's the Lewis uh, understanding yeah. and intent service. Yeah. yeah. Intent. So, that's right. Not yes, semantics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was really neat. And then in, on top of that, uh, he, and then Vardaman Despandi, who is from the UK, who works for Content at Code, where uh, Chris O'Brien also works, who obviously we talk about quite a lot in the show because he's always blogging gold. Um, <clears throat> is uh, he covered off the app only flows that you can do. And we get a lot of feedback on Stack and GitHub that it can be quite confusing the difference between a delegated user flow where you you do API calls in your app on behalf of an actual user versus app only authentication flows, which you do as the application itself. And so Deshpandi kind of covered those things as well. So that was a, a really cool 
a core community call that was kind of covering two topics that we know are hot at the moment. And um, it was great for the community to step up and offer to speak about those. Yeah, that's also, and I, I, you know, everyone who knows me knows it personally. I think there's, you can never have too few of the, the security type calls. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to see someone else delivering that type of content because it, it really, it's very powerful. It's very scary. You do something wrong. <laughs> so the more, you know, the better you off you'll be doing. So I was, I was great to see that. And, uh, and, and I know Seb had trouble with his demo and I've had that problem before. I know you mentioned the same thing, but it, it's all a demo gods. When you go live, it can be kind of crazy. Um, but, um, uh, the, that, uh, the .NET framework V4 is, uh, pretty slick. I, I like it more than V3, but I still wish it would do some other things different. I have to put some notes together, for some feedback to that group, but yeah, good stuff going on there. What was the, what is that tool that they use? Cause it's basically hijacking the calls on your machine and sending it back to the local host. Yeah. So the, the idea is it's like a proxy. Well, I, I consider it a proxy. The tool he was using was called ngrok. That's right. N-G-R-O-K dot I-O. And the idea is you run a console application on your local PC and then it registers a connection to ngrok.io, which is out on the internet. And then it gives you a little six or eight digit code which is a subdomain. So it's, you know, code uh, XYZ123 dot ngrok.io. And then you, you use that publicly routable address, ABC123 dot ngrok.io in your somewhere in the internet. And then the calls go to this ngrok service and then they redirect it back to the console application that's running on your PC. And when you yeah, launch the console right. app, you can tell it to redirect those calls to a specific port number. And then it gives you a little window. You can watch the calls come in. There's a web interface to it as well on your local machine. You can actually see the raw response and requ- request and response. It's really a pretty slick tool. So yeah, highly recommend it on that. We'll put a link out to that on the show. The, the, the gotcha is if you run it and then if you've got two running, cause you've got two samples going, they're both from the same port and then it just falls over. Well, yeah, you have to dig down into the documentation and the configuration files to have it run multiple instances, which, you know, why would you ever do that? You know, typically. So, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. certainly, and like I said, I ran into that problem and then I figured out how to solve it again. So I, I totally get what he's done there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a, um, another bit of news from Microsoft this week, the Microsoft teams team keeps rolling right along and they announced, um, the ability to, to use what they're calling templates. They, they have a industry-based templates to provision a team. Uh, and by industry, they're basically talking about uh, like the education market. And I can't remember what the other one shifts, something related with shifts. I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head. Yeah, I apologize, but, retail but the idea is, and healthcare. Yeah. Thank you. Go. Thank you. So um, the, 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 there is a, an endpoint on the graph for this as well. Now for those SharePoint folks in the room, it's not what you'd expect with you know, site designs. Obviously this is the first launch of, of what Microsoft teams is coming out with their templates. So but they're making progress in getting uh, filling out the graph endpoints for Microsoft Teams, which is uh, very, very long overdue. And, and they've heard the call and I work on getting that fixed. So that's great to see. And so there's an, uh, the, the first step into this. You can do this. Uh, and these are all relatively new. Most of the Teams APIs, I think, have just gone GA in the last uh, four or five months or so. So certainly worth checking out. Yeah, it's like site templates v 0.1. Would be my yeah. assessment of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but they're, they're getting there. That's good though. It's been a big user voice thing that I keep seeing. So that it's nice that those teams are reacting like that too. Yeah. The, um, so from the community this week, um, Alexander Holmset, I'm assuming, I just assume I get every pronunciation wrong on this show <laughs> of people's names, but, uh, Alex is on Twitter as Alex Holmset as well. Um, and he actually has written a PowerShell script that will count the number of tabs in each type of team. Um, and, but what's interesting with this is that he's actually using the graph to do it. So he's using the AAD module to, set up and get the access token. So he's getting the client ID and putting in the redirect URL and, um, you know, providing the authority and, and so forth. And once he's got the access token, then he's just simply using normal HTTP gets to invoke the rest method to get back 
uh, all the calls from the graph. So, you know, he, he's reaching in and looking through the groups and then he's looking in each of the teams for the group ID that he gets back. And then he's iterating through each of the channels and then he's looking at all the app IDs that are installed. And so it's kind of really nice as an admin, if you want to kind of be able to kind of document what's going on in your environment and see what's being used across your environment in a, in a quick way and in a, in a language that IT pros tend to understand, which is PowerShell. Um, and it's even kind of almost human readable too in the, the way that he's written it out. So if you've got IT pros that are interested in what's going on in Teams, it's kind of cool to see, you know, what the common apps are across your your tenant and to see what groups and so forth are, uh, are growing in a way that's easy to kind of run the script locally and on your own machine with PowerShell because pretty much every version of Windows and even now other platforms has PowerShell you can run things on. Uh, I'm glad to see some more IT pro type stuff uh, popping up because that reminds me uh, we'll be interviewing uh, one of my favorite SharePoint IT pros, Matt McDermott, and we'll be talking about how developers can help IT pros and IT pros can help developers. So stay tuned for that. But this is a great example of this kind of thing where making a REST call to an HTTP endpoint can provide great information for you know and power users who want to monitor stuff or IT pros who are in charge of figuring this stuff out. And sometimes the, that's is all you need. Yes, you can do the Graph Explorer. Yes, you can do Postman. Sometimes, though, you really don't need all that overhead, right? If you know the URL that you're trying to get, just bam, go off and get it. So great to see that coming in. There's another community news item from a name that's very difficult to pronounce. Let me try this. Um, Chris Kent. <laughs> so Chris and I actually worked together back at DMI uh, earlier this year. And uh, Chris is an MVP in the, the SharePoint space. And he has done a lot of work on the list formatting capabilities in the modern SharePoint. And so he's got uh, uh, another blog post. And while this isn't a monumental blog post, if you go back through his blog, there's a lot of list formatting posts that he's done over the last uh, few months. And uh, Chris is part of the, the PNP core team around list forwarding as well. So a great resource and, and a lot of stuff to do. So Chris is the man when it comes to list formatting in modern SharePoint. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad that this came across my radar this week because I certainly wanted to shout out to him. And so uh, if you're struggling with list formatting or trying to get up to speed, that's certainly uh, the place to go. Yeah. And I, I've, I've actually heard him speak recently and he's definitely one of the, my favorites uh, kind of, I guess not as much of a newcomer anymore, but in the SharePoint scene, I haven't been around as much and uh, seeing him present on his content yeah. was really impressive. So if you do get to see him speak at a, I know he does kind of do SharePoint right. Saturdays and things should definitely go check him out. Yeah, at a at a event that I was at with him where we had to write our own app. His app was the Janitor Tracker 3000. So that's kind of a great <laughs> insight into the the sense of humor Chris has. So yeah, uh, really yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of value when he kind of does that. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the gift that keeps on giving uh, in the 30 days of Graph Blog, we've been seeing consistent traffic to this blog series. So if you haven't checked out the 30 days series we did in November that um, – <clears throat> the, a, a bunch of people, including Brian Jacket, wrote, um, and Shrivenas uh, Varakula Varakala again screwed that one up completely. Uh, <laughs> uh, he wrote about Postman and this neat trick that one of the hardest things with Postman is honestly is configuring it to get the access tokens. And if you saw my Ignite talk, you'd have seen me trip up on the authorization tab and clicking get access token didn't actually get an access token. And so the approach that Shrivanaz had was that um, there's this notion of in Postman, which I didn't even realize, uh, called environments. And you can click the little eye in the top right that gives you um, variables for that environment. And what he shows how to do in this post is essentially create variables for client ID, client secret, tenant ID, and a blank variable for access token. And then he has a request in his collection that he saves that is the get access that goes to the token endpoint with obviously the body header set up correctly using those variables that have been configured. But what I didn't realize about Postman is, is there is a tests tab 
now when you do requests. And he added two lines of JavaScript into that test tab, which basically takes the response body that comes back from running that particular um, call, the post call to the token endpoint, and stores the access token that came back in that response body in the variable for that environment in Postman. And then essentially what that means is, is inside of, you know, any other tab that you run in Postman, you can use that access token. And obviously when it expires, you just go over to the other tab and just run the get access token again. And you don't have to do that across every tab in the Postman interface. Um, so it actually makes Postman a little bit more usable with access tokens and uh, only having to configure the access token once and it being reused across that whole environment. So definitely go check that out um, on the on the blog, but also encourage you to check out a lot of the other posts in that series too, because there's some great content there um, that's been covered. Yeah. And for those who are unfamiliar with Postman environments, you can have multiple environments. So you don't have to run these tests in your production tenant. Uh, you flip it over to a test tenant and, and run it and, and you can have the variables going back and forth. So great. Uh, there's a lot to Postman. I'd certainly on my list to to get up to speed on some of that. So it's great to see. Yeah. And I, I even noticed they were forcing us out of the Chrome browser version or stand whatever they call those things, standalone Chrome installed to a, a dedicated app. And it has workspaces now in the top middle of the Postman interface where you can invite people. So, you know, there's some definite things we need to explore here. Um, but I've definitely started to use these environment variables and the collections on the left-hand side to, you know, have common things that I test and chuck around that gives me a little bit more flexibility than Graph Explorer does. Yeah. Awesome. Great stuff. All right. So uh, this week I was able to sit down with uh, David Clow from Microsoft. Uh, those those of you who have been listening, you, under, you understand my love for adaptive cards, so I don't have to design anything. And so David was one of the uh, people who started up the adaptive card initiative. So I, I presume you've talked with the adaptive cards team in some point in your capacity there, right? David's actually a peer. Uh, he he's in the same org. Uh, we share the same skip manager, so he's in my team meetings every week. So, so he's an avid yeah. guitarist, and um, well, you'll hear from the show. He's got a wicked sense of dry sense of humor based on where he's from. So we have we have a lot of fun at work. He yeah, grilled awesome. grilled me in my interview loop for this role, like totally grilled me. Um, and it was the first time I've ever been in an interview loop where I've been grilled like that. So we always kind of joke about that. Well, thank goodness he wasn't grilling me. I was trying to grill him, but, uh, <laughs> there's some great stuff in the, great stuff in this conversation. It's a great technology and I'm super excited to borrow a Microsoft term. And will certainly, this is a, a topic and or guest that we're going to want to bring back in the months to come. Cause they have a lot of grand plans. Some of which he talks about that we'll want to loop back in on. So. Well, enjoy your week, Paul, and hopefully we survive Snowmageddon V2 and um, uh, yeah. see you next week. All right. Take care. So I'm here today with David Klo. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Thanks uh, for having me, Paul. Um, my pleasure. I, I have been doing some work on, uh, on a bot, and since I am terrible at designing, I found this technology called Adaptive Cards, and I absolutely love them. So I wanted mm -hmm. to get you on the, on the show to talk about them. But before we go too far, uh, can you tell us uh, who you are and a little bit about what you do at Microsoft? Uh, sure. Uh, so my name is David Klo. I'm a French guy. I moved to the U.S. to start working for Microsoft almost 14 years ago now. Um, I used to be a developer in super small companies back in France. Uh, but when I came here, uh, I found the, the right spot as a program manager. So I'm doing spec work and so on. But uh, with the adaptive card stuff, I, I am actually super happy because I can do program management. I can also code, which is uh, fantastic. So I, I, I've done a, a bunch of things uh, with adaptive cards. Uh, it's been a super cool uh, journey so far, and I'm looking forward to doing uh, even more. All right. So then let's start with the what are adaptive cards? Yeah, so adaptive cards, uh, it, it all stems from um, uh, the realization that um, a few people here at Microsoft uh, have had. And when I say a few, we're talking about three people. That's myself, uh, Mike Heidinger in the Windows organization, and Tom Laird um, in the Fuse, uh, as we call it. It's essentially the bot framework um, group. 
uh, we were all talking uh, completely about something completely different. And uh, it came to us that many products internally at Microsoft were trying to do the same thing, which was representing little bits and pieces of, of UI, uh, usually sent by something external to the application that's displaying that UI. And every one of those teams were was implementing their own solution for that. And at the same time, uh, we kind of thought, wow, and in the industry, we're not the only ones doing that kind of stuff because Facebook uh, uh, and plenty of other products also represent cards in their own UI. So what if we looked into a way to have that one solution that works great across the board for everybody? And so that's how Adaptive Card started. And the goal was really to have uh, a, a small format that would be purely declarative and that would make it possible for the card author to express themselves in as rich a way as possible, while at the same time making it possible for the host, so the entity that would display the card, uh, to uh, maintain control over the styling so that a card always looks as good as possible in its context. So that's the gist of it, right? And that's what we've been working on so far. Okay, great. And so for someone who's a developer, right, I'm sitting in my uh, go to my office and I'm writing some application that we're using internally. How would adaptive cards help me in that scenario? What, what, what kind of things can I accomplish using cards? Yeah, that's uh, I mean, great question. You have a piece of the answer yourself because you've been implementing a bot and you've been using adaptive cards in that context. So we've made it easy for you to create cards that are going to look good and that uh, can be a rich expression of what you want to do. But that's not the only use case. If I'm implementing my own implementation and I need to represent little bits and pieces of data throughout my application, it so happens that doing it with adaptive cards can actually save you a lot of time. Because we offer SDKs for a variety of platforms, including JavaScript for any web-based application, uh, iOS, Android, UWP, you name it, uh, you can actually pick up the tech and uh, make use of it in your own application in order to have some content that can be authored once and that you can render uh, in each and every version of your application, the one you've done for iOS, the one you've done for, for the web, exactly the same way without having to write any or much code. So that's a great value in terms of the engineering effort that you're going to have to put into it. Right? So using adaptive cards can actually lower your engineering cost, which is, I think, one of the best features of, uh, of the, form the format and RSDKs. Okay, and so then uh, that's that implies that I am I'm showing information to my users, right? And so, do I have to do a lot of work around uh, making it uh, uh, render correctly, or, or what's that? What's that involvement? The, the idea is that you just author uh, whatever card you want. So you author a layout using the adaptive card format, and then you just hand that over to RSDK. You just make use of RSDK. Most of the time, it's just you uh, an NPM package or a NuGet package, uh, as simple as that. And it's just like two or three lines of code to actually get the card to, to, to display. Then you can customize the, the, the styles and, and you know font sizes and so on that you you want to use in your application, but that too is really not much work. Right. And, and one of the things I personally have found very uh, helpful is that if I am not necessarily in charge of hosting the application, for example, I don't have to host a bot. I just put up a website somewhere and I send messages to the bot framework. And I, what's my rendering effort involved on, on, in a card in that scenario, right? Which I kind of know the answer here, but I think that's the, the great benefit to folks, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're implementing a bot, if you're a, a bot service, essentially, the only thing that you're responsible of is authoring the cards and sending them uh, through your bot's channel, right? And then whoever is using your bot in whichever application, could be Teams, could be the web chat control in a web application, that's the entity that's going to take care of rendering it. So as, as the author of the bot, you don't have to worry about the rendering at all. You just worry about crafting a card that looks good and that does what you need it to do. And and is the bot framework the only place in which these cards can be used? No, those cards are actually used in a in a 
growing number of applications. So the bot framework, obviously, bot clients, uh, such as Teams, but adaptive cards are also used in Outlook with actionable messages. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great feature that I've been uh, working on for uh, quite a few years now. Uh, it makes it possible to have emails that are more dynamic and from which you can take actions that happen right inside Outlook. So it makes a big difference for approvals, for example, or things that you're supposed to be able to do quickly. So adaptive cards power those experiences. Uh, the Windows timeline feature is also uh, using uh, adaptive cards. Cortana skills are also using adaptive cards. And uh, there are a bunch of third-party uh, applications out there that also make use of adaptive cards. One great partner that we worked with recently, which is AdBot, it, it's, uh, it's an application that makes it easy to create bots. So sure, it's still bots, but uh, they uh, have that great UI that makes it possible for a non-developer to create a bot super quickly. And they've even integrated our visual card designer inside their own application to make it even easier to craft cards without having to know anything about the format. Um, so yeah, many applications use uh, adaptive cards already, and we hope that uh, a lot more will in the future. Oh, okay, so that response brought a couple or three things that I want to uh, dig into. So first, you said uh, the the format. So what exactly is the format that a card takes from a developer's perspective? So adaptive card is essentially a very lightweight layout format that is expressed in uh, using a JSON syntax. Uh, it's essentially a stack of elements. Um, and elements can be text, images, um, controls such as inputs or actions. And you can, you can lay those out in your card, as I said, from top to bottom as a stack. And you also have the ability <clears throat> to organize them into columns to achieve more complex uh, layouts. But that's basically what it is. It's just you define the layout of your card using a stack of elements. And each of those can control its own you know, spacing uh, between themselves and the previous element in the card. You can add separators between uh, elements. You can choose the style for containers, which makes it possible to have backgrounds. You can even set background colors. You can choose font styles, bold, etc., etc. But it's it's lightweight. We're not trying to emulate or replace or or be anything like HTML, for example. HTML is all powerful. You can do anything you want. That plus CSS, it's just open door to anything anybody wants. We are not trying to be that. Instead, we're trying to be something that's easily, uh, uh, that you can learn easily, that you can um, start using uh, very quickly. HTML sometimes takes months or years for somebody to, 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 to start being proficient with. With adaptive cards, you can get to that point much faster. And because it's completely independent of any actual rendering technology, it's not, it's not based on HTML, it's not based on XAML, it's not based on anything, you can actually then translate an adaptive card into those native rendering technologies, which is exactly what our SDKs, our renderers, as we call them, do under the covers. And one thing that I've come to really appreciate is, is like if, if you take, for example, I, I write some application and I plop it in front of a lot of users, it's new to them. They have to learn how to do it. And now I have to do training and documentation. But if you think back like to the Office add-in world, if I do something and it looks just like Office does, then users don't freak out as much, right? And, and from what I've seen of the renderers, uh, each renderer or each host of the, of the card can render in a way that looks familiar to themselves. Is that right? That's right. Exactly. Each host actually imposes uh, its own styling, uh, its own color set, and, and so on and so on, so that a card really looks the part, right? So it eliminates that ability that a card author uh, might have to, uh, I would say, shoot themselves in the foot <laughs> and create something that does not look good. I mean, take a, a very typical example. Uh, in HTML, all the time you have to deal with paddings and, and margins to make sure that things are aligned and so on and so on. Uh, I know for a fact, because I've been doing a lot of it uh, in the last few years, 
it can be hard to get to the right result. Well, with adaptive cards, everything is aligned by default, right? And it's very hard to make it not aligned. So we are really starting from the, the other end. We are making sure that what you author is constrained by, you know, specific rules that make it look good. And on top of that, we let the host decide what the colors that you're using are actually going to be. In a, in a card, for example, you never say something is green. You might say it's the good color. And the good color, uh, the host has decided what it actually means. And it might have decided that it was indeed green, but it could have decided that it was just black or whatever, right? Yeah, that that's uh, again for someone like myself who's not very graphically inclined. That's that's pretty great. Now, uh, another thing that you mentioned that I think is is worth digging into is um, this interactivity. Like you had mentioned with the with the Outlook uh, cards, how you get this interactivity, and then you mentioned controls when you were discussing the layout. What does that really mean? Yeah, I mean, cards, uh, especially the way uh, we envisioned them at the beginning, given the use cases that we knew about within Microsoft, uh, it's not just to display static information, right? In many cases, what you want is to collect information from the user, so make them somewhat dynamic, and then make it possible to submit that information to a service so that the service can do something interesting with it. That's exactly what happens in most bots. You know, a bot sends a card, then asks for your input. That might be a multi-choice selection. That might be a simple text block in which you enter some freeform text. It might be a date input or whatever. And then once you've done that, there's usually a button in that card that makes it possible to post that information to the bot. In Outlook, it works the same. You have those controls, and, and then when the button is clicked, the, the value of those controls is sent to a service that can do something interesting with it. So adaptive cards are dynamic in the sense that, indeed, you can have input controls and buttons that take the values of those input controls send them to a service for that service to do something interesting with it. In Outlook, we have something uh, really cool also. I mean, it, it goes with that actionable message uh, feature. Uh, technically, in the bot framework world, it, there's something equivalent. But in Outlook, once you've done, um, once you've taken an action from a card, you typed some, some, some stuff in the input controls, click the button, the service receives that data and the service can actually return a new version of the card. It might be completely different. The idea is once you've taken the action, the state of the object that you're acting upon might have changed. And therefore, you might want to see that state change reflected in the card. So that way you can actually implement a message that changes after you've performed an action. Typical case, again, an approval scenario, you get asked to approve, I don't know, a SharePoint access request. Uh, this is one of the actionable message scenarios that uh, has shipped and that's available to pretty much anybody. You receive that, you approve, and once you've approved, the, the card changes to say, you have approved on that date, et cetera. The approve action has gone away. And, and and it's a beautiful world. <laughs> yeah, I can see a, a tremendous productivity benefit there if I don't have to go to SharePoint and find the thing that's being sub submitted, correct? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and now the, 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 the one of the other things that you mentioned earlier that, that struck me was this designer. And so obviously people, uh, if, if I have to, at the end of the day, I have to give you a, a JSON document. Obviously, uh, seeing that visually might be a little bit difficult. Um, so I'm guessing there's a designer in play here since you mentioned it. Yeah, so the, the, the first tool that we had when uh, when we shipped adaptive cards was what we used to call the visualizer. A visualizer was an extremely simple tool. On the left, you had the JSON editor, and on the right, you had a preview of the card that you were editing in the editor. But that supposed that you knew how to, uh, you know, author those cards in the JSON format. Again, it's not that hard to learn because it's a very simple and lightweight format. But still, we can do better. What you see is what you get from the designer when you drag elements and drop them into onto the card and, and see immediately what things look like. And you don't have to author JSON. So we always knew that we would get there at some point, and we actually worked on it. Um, that was um, before the summer. I think we might have shown that designer or, or 
uh, yeah, I think the first time we shown it, we've shown it was at Build last year, which happened in May or something like that. And since then, it's chipped. It's um, now in um, version one. Uh, we have again showed it at uh, Ignite back in September. And uh, we are still very hard at work uh, on it. Actually, I was working on it right before uh, we started recording this. Um, the, 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 the last thing that we did with it is we made it an embeddable uh, JavaScript component. So now it's super, super easy for any web application to actually you know, load the NPM library uh, for the designer and with a few lines of code, have the designer embedded into their own application without having to deal with anything complicated. It just works. There's a lot of different opportunities. There is there is there any certain scenarios that you see gaining traction or or that you're hearing about people that you know are, are really uh, popular or, or easy to implement easy to implement with a with a huge benefit to people? Have you gotten any feedback? I think the 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 the, the main thing is people realize that by using adaptive cards, they can actually. Uh, do UI in uh, the various versions of their applications uh, without having to recode rendering that UI. Because typically and usually uh, you have your iOS implementation, you have your Android application, you have your web application. Um, and either all of these are going to be, are going to have their one-off version of UI rendering or maybe your iOS and Android versions are going to be um, sharing the same rendering because you've done them with, say, I don't know, Xamarin or React Native. But then your web application is still going to need to use um, uh, uh, web technologies, HTML. And then you might have a XAML application. So... People have been coding the same thing over and over again. And adaptive cards, when people actually come across the technology and say, wow, I can actually use that and have it render perfectly in all of my applications without having to re-implement it every time. So it's a huge time saver. I think that's, that might be the, the number one thing that attracts people uh, to adaptive cards uh, when, uh, when they decide to use it in their own applications. Okay, now I want to switch gears just a, a little bit. So, so adaptive cards is somewhat new, right? I think from what you're saying, it's, you know, it's in the last 12 or 18 months or so. And, and like many new technologies at Microsoft, a lot of it is being developed out in the open. And so I, I had stumbled across the GitHub repo uh, a while back and, and thought oh, that was interesting. So I hit the follow button. And lately I've been getting a lot of messages because you guys are doing a bunch of work uh, that I could that I can see happening here. And I, I don't understand all of it. So uh, clearly there's, there, you have ideas of things that can come, right? Is there anything that you can share? Uh, it, I know build is, you know, not too far away, but is there anything you talk about uh, the types of things that you're thinking might, might be advances coming down the pipe? Oh, I'm, I'm happy to share. Uh, so let me just start with, it's very important. This is really an open source project uh, that uh, I would say belongs to the community at large. Uh, so we are making heavy use of adaptive cards at Microsoft. And yes, as you, as you said, we're working super hard right now on bringing plenty of new features. I'm totally fine talking about them because again, everything is in GitHub, all feature proposal uh, uh, proposals, asks, uh, issues, uh, and even, um, uh, you know, pull requests with code changes. Everything is available there. So anybody who wants to take a look can already do it. So we're working on a bunch of new features for our 1.2 release. I don't know if all of the ones that we have in mind will make it into that 1.2 release, but we're really talking about a, a, a great fallback uh, story, uh, which makes it possible for authors to create cards uh, that you know include fallback information so that if the card reaches a host that does not yet support all of the features the card is using, it can still do a great job by using, you know, um, a downgraded experience, but all of that is embedded in the card. Uh, we are use, uh, adding uh, a fantastic feature that makes it super easy. And again, without risking to shoot yourself in the foot to, um, as we call it, bleed background images into the paddings of the card. Uh, so far, that's been a, a big uh, uh, limitation with uh, adaptive cards. You can have 
you know, containers that have great background images, but you always get the padding of the card. So the, in, in many cases, you want that header at the top that really extends to the very edges of the card. You could not do that. Well, with that bleed feature, you're going to be able to do it and you're going to be able to do it super easily. I'm super, I'm extremely excited about that one. Um, what else? Uh, oh, we, we, we have a bunch and right now it's escaping me, but again, everything is available in GitHub. Uh, you can just look at uh, the open issues and everything is there. And the, so now that's interesting, right? So with this being so open source, all these new features and new releases, it always begs the question, what's the timeline? And obviously timelines are, are always loose, but do you ship frequently? Are you more annually or, or as things are ready or how, what kind of churn do we see? Uh, cards? I guess what I'm concerned is that if there's something that uh, uh, I, I ship today, I use a card in a certain fashion, um, do I have to worry about something behind the scenes, uh, you know, tripping me up and I have to go in and, and update my code. Uh, so obviously you'll probably want to update your code to make use of the latest SDKs when they're shipped. But we, we, we are conscious of, I mean, there's no great, there, there's no perfect answer to the question you asked. Uh, some people like super fast ship cycles. Some others like a much slower. Uh, we tend to think, if we ship too often, people are going to be like, well, this is, I, I can't keep up. And if we ship not frequently enough, and people are going to say, well, what, what's happening? Is the technology dead or whatnot? So I would say at this point in time, uh, we might be uh, uh, shooting for twice a year, but it's, it's, it's really more um, when it's ready rather than, uh, imposing ourselves a, a, a ship date. Again, this is like open source. When there's something great that we feel super comfortable about, um, we just decide, okay, let, let's ship something. Um, build is coming. So it's always interesting to be able to announce new features there. Um, so we might take that into consideration, but uh, it's usually when it's ready. Right. And so at the uh, you mentioned there are, there are several partners that you have, like the Bot Framework and Outlook and Commander Cards. Is, is there a, an ongoing effort to, to try to increase the scope of that? And and also, if I have an application in which I think uh, I want to show cards, is there something I need to do to, to sign up, if you will? So you, you don't sign up for adaptive cards. You just make the decision for, for yourself whether or not it's the right technology for you. Hopefully it is. And once you've done that, you just go right ahead. There's, there's nothing to, uh, you know, register for or whatnot. Um, as far as uh, increasing the scope and having more uh, customers of adaptive cards, I, I hope that we're going to get way, way more than what we have now. And we, we already have quite a few. I can tell you that internally at Microsoft, there are additional teams that are um, either uh, looking into it or prototyping or even working on shipping, you know, features that make use of adaptive cards. Uh, those teams might not actually advertise the fact that they're built on top of adaptive cards. But the fact is that they are. And that's what really matters uh, to us, right? Um, and I, of course, I, I can't disclose what those teams are. Yeah, yeah. but that's yeah. That, that's the way it is. I mean, I, so far we've been quite lucky. Uh, actually, I think we had a good idea in the first place. I'm gonna, you know, uh, give us what I think <laughs> um, we deserve. Between quotes, uh, that technology has sold itself in many cases. As in, people see the value because again, it. It lowers their engineering effort. Um, so, yeah, hopefully people agree with the fact that it's it's it was a good idea and uh, good tech, well implemented, and, and I hope more and more people will adopt it. Right. I, I, I you count me as a fan. I, I certainly love it and and have found it very uh, low friction, if you will. Right. So it's easy, as you mentioned, it's easy to to roll in. And the one thing that I I know from personal experience that you didn't mention there, you have SDKs or renderers, but there also is a an SDK at least in the .NET world to to build a card. Right. So I can I can assemble a card, and, and I'm a long time 
developer, so I remember doing that in ASP.NET days back in the day. So if you if your background is taking like building up a tree of of an object or of some sort, uh, you certainly have an SDK for that as well. So I wanted to make sure people are aware that you don't have to start from scratch. There certainly is a way to to build these cards in your backend code uh, dynamically, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because adaptive cards is a uh, format that's expressed in JSON, JSON is not always um, easy to author in all languages. Obviously, if you write in JavaScript, there's native support in there. So it's super easy to write it just plain and simple. But with .NET, for example, it's very useful to have a class uh, library, a class hierarchy that maps to the adaptive card schema in order to make it easier for you to just author those cards through the object model and then uh, uh, serialize that to JSON. So indeed, those libraries exist. Right. So this, again, the, uh, wonderful stuff. I, uh, I count myself as a big fan. Is there, is there anything else that I forgot to ask you about that, that might be interesting or, or any calls to action that you think? And then lastly, I'll tack on uh, how do people reach out or the best way to, to, to get in touch or learn more? So the, the last thing maybe that I'd like to mention is that beyond 1.2, we're also working on uh, the, the, the big 2.0 release. And I don't know when that's going to ship, but the big, big thing in 2.0, which we already touched on uh, at uh, Ignite, is going to be templating an official uh, you know, data binding model. This has been a, a big request using adaptive cards uh, as templates so as to make it possible to represent data super easily. You just get your data, you bind it to, a data, to an adaptive card template and render that. Uh, so this is coming. Uh, in terms of how you get engaged with us, uh, GitHub is the right place. Just go there. Uh, if you have ideas, if you have requests, open issues, uh, we have uh, a GitHub templates uh, so that you can tell us uh, what, what, what it is that you need or, or want uh, the right way. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 all on GitHub. That's that's the whole thing. Well, that's great, and and that templating issue sounds great. So after you ship, we're going to come back around and invite you back on, and we'll we'll go in depth on more stuff. That if the, all right. So thank you very much for the time this week. Again, it's awesome, and and we'll be sure to put links in our show notes to the adaptive card site and the GitHub repo, and uh, and we look forward to hearing more from you guys soon. Awesome. Thanks again for having me, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 